This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I am Jolan Ansami, your co-host joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan and the Midwest, we are delighted to once again welcome to this program Harmid Dillon. Harmid Dillon is the founder of Dillon Law Group based in San Francisco, California. Her focus is on commercial litigation, employment law, First Amendment rights, and election law matters. Harmid Dillon is also the founder of the Center for American Liberty. She is co-chair of the Republican National Lawyers Association and member of the Trump 2020 Advisory Council. Harmid is known as a great champion of the First Amendment. And we would like to clearly communicate the following disclaimer. Harmid Dillon is not providing any legal advice to our listening audience. Harmid Dillon, a warm welcome is extended to you on America's Roundtable. Welcome. Welcome, Harmid. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be with you again. Wonderful to have you. This past week, Americans tuned into the vice presidential debate between Vice President Mike Pence and Senator Kamala Harris. Harmit, what are the major takeaways from this vice presidential debate? Well, I think that uh, the left and also, by the way, Republicans kind of built up Kamala Harris as some sort of a master debater, prosecutor, who was really, you know, going to be able to hold her own and destroy the positions of the Trump campaign. But in fact, what we saw was a really weak performance by Kamala Harris. She didn't answer any of the questions, really. She just came with prepackaged uh, hit lines and uh, policy positions that often had nothing to do with the question. Uh, her answers were shallow and even evasive, particularly on the issues that voters are really beginning to ask questions about, such as packing the court, such as what would the Biden-Harris administration have done differently in, uh, in, in the COVID crisis? So I, I thought it was quite a poor performance by her. But on the other side, Mike Pence really outperformed. I mean, you know, He's outshadowed by the president most of the time because he's the vice president and he does that role very well. Uh, but we call him in the campaign the silent killer uh, heart attack uh, because uh, he, you know, kind of sneaks up on you and really you don't know what has happened until it's too late. So he came with fact. He came with resolve. He would not let her avoid the questions. And I think he really showed her up. Right. And yes, I would like to go back to what you mentioned, avoiding to answer questions. Once again, we have the Biden-Harris ticket criticizing Trump's administration of their response to China's COVID pandemic, while not answering the question about what would Democrats and Biden-Kamala ticket had done differently if faced with coronavirus in March. And the fact is that President Trump suspended all travel from China, while Senator and Biden opposed this decision as being xenophobic. If Trump had listened to Biden-Harris's advice and allowed flights from China, we would definitely have many more China coronavirus cases 
and death today. Hermit, what do you make of Biden and Harris's false narrative? Well, one of the things you can't avoid is that uh, Joe Biden has made a career of cozying up to China and even his family directly profiting with his son, Hunter Biden, being a business partner with Chinese oligarchs. So there could be no more clear evidence of this than the fact that while uh, broadcasting the debate, the Chinese government actually uh, blacked out uh, Vice President Pence's criticism of China. And then when Kamala Harris began speaking, they put the debate back on. Uh, I think that is quite clear. It's, it's shocking. You can check this for yourself. And so, you know, what does that tell you? The president has stood up to China. The president kept our country safe and our borders secure. And the other side is wallowing always in political correctness and nonsense, not science. And, you know, again, the, the vice president really brought home Kamala Harris's disingenuous undermining of the uh, vaccine that's under development and called her out for that. Uh, but you know what the moderator could have done and didn't do is call out the fact that Kamala Harris came out swinging and claimed that the president has tanked the economy and caused all these people to be unemployed and so forth. Well, what would her ticket have done? Uh, Vice President uh, Biden has promised to shut down the economy even further, has promised a mask mandate, has promised basically that, uh, you know, we can expect another year or more of this economic misery. So uh, one can only imagine what this country would be like with people begging in the streets, probably, had it not been for President Trump at the helm. Hermantonio, excellent op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal, published on April 29, 2019, titled, The Prosecutor Who Can't Make Up Her Mind, you stated, and I quote, Politicians change their minds all the time, either out of expedience or after learning more. What's odd about Miss Harris's flip-flops is that so many of them relate to her core professional experience. She wasn't a public defender or prison reform advocate. She worked in criminal justice for more than two decades and was chief law enforcement officer in America's most populous state, unquote. This past week at the vice presidential debate, she stated that she was a reformer. From your experiences in the California judicial arena with Kamala Harris, what should the electorate, specifically in Michigan, the Midwest, be mindful of when examining the real record of Kamala Harris in the state of California? Look, Kamala Harris's record as a prosecutor and attorney general is entirely undistinguished, uh, other than by some of those data points that, that Mike Pence brought to bear yesterday uh, at the debate, rather. For example... He pointed out that she put away more African-American young men than any other prosecutor in California uh, by going after statistics, basically. She wanted to rack up tough-on-crime credentials, so she went after low-level street crime, drug crime, that, that are now criticized by the left as putting a disproportionate number of African-Americans behind bars. These are the Clinton-era Drug uh, reforms that at, at the state level have been echoed by uh, very punitive measures for small amounts of drug possession or, or, or trafficking. So, but, you know, did she have a chance to change bail, for example, or, uh, you know, go after human trafficking or domestic violence? She had a chance to do all of those things. She had a chance to set the state's agenda 
in a progressive, more uh, you know, humane direction on some of these issues. And she did none of that. Everything that she's done in her career has been calculated towards the next job and ultimately the White House. And so what can we expect from somebody like that in the White House? Well, first of all, she isn't going to be in the White House technically, but you know, she's only going to be a you know, few costs away from it uh, with somebody being the oldest president ever, Joe Biden being in what, what is perceived by many as very frail health generally. He's cocooned in a swath of, uh, you know, being hidden in the basement. But, uh, you know, the chances of her becoming the president are high. And, and what would that mean? I think that what that means is you cannot trust anything that this woman has ever said in her career about what she stands for. Because as I pointed out in that Wall Street Journal piece, she's changed her position on everything when it's expedient. And there is no core. There is no center. There is no even progressive framework like a Bernie, Bernie Sanders that we can count on. It's simply situational, which is truly dangerous and alarming. Hermit, you sued the state of California for religious discrimination against a Sikh job applicant. And for the record, Kamala Harris was noted as defending injustice until her liberal networks pressured her. Now, the Anti-Defamation League, which protects the Jewish people and works to secure justice and fair treatment for all, was part of a coalition of uh, groups, including the Center for Constitutional Rights, Japanese American Citizens League, and the Sikh Coalition, rebuking Harris in a letter to former Democratic Governor Jerry Brown. Now, what can we learn from Kamala Harris' stand on religious discrimination or lack thereof? Well, Kamala Harris was on the wrong side of that case. That case involved a sick prison guard who, under our federal and state anti-discrimination laws, was entitled to a job as a uh, prison guard in our prison system. He passed the medical test. He was ready, willing, and able to pass the test for fitting the gas mask. But the prison union uh, had lobbied for some exemptions for people of color, African-American men who had beard problems and could not shave. They were allowed to maintain beards on the job. But a Sikh who has to do it because of his faith was not allowed to do that. This is blatant discrimination, not very hard to take a stand on the right side of it. I litigated against the state for four years, first against Jerry Brown and then largely against Kamala Harris. You know, when she came into office, uh, Indian American groups were like, oh, this is wonderful. She's the first Indian American. She's a person of color. She's a woman. She's going to get it. She had zero progressive credentials in that job, did nothing to help this person from the Indian American community. In fact, defended the state's completely wrong position. And, you know, some people make apologies for this thing. Well, it was her job to defend the state. Well, actually, when it came time to defending or implementing the state's law on uh, on the death penalty for cop killers or for gangbangers, she refused to do that. She refused, under political pressure, to defend California's constitutional uh, right to bail. And so she selectively refused to do things that she was required to do by law all the time. So very, very situational. And, um, you know, it was kind of nauseating to hear her say at the debate that she and uh, Mike Pence were both people of faith. What faith is her faith? Uh, I don't think she has any sort of faith tradition or core. And again, this is America. We are egalitarian. That's okay. But don't pretend to be a person of faith when you actually aren't. And based on her track record that you just mentioned, uh, and going back to your point of court packing, uh, Kamala Harris obviously avoided to answer the question about court packing if Judge Barrett is approved as Supreme Court Justice. What are your thoughts about 
here is Biden's intentions to increase the number of seats on the Supreme Court and what should the American people be aware of if this happens? Uh, I think we can deduce from Biden and Harris's persistent refusal to answer this question as to whether they would pack the court, that they intend to do exactly that. Some Democrats have openly said that they should do that and otherwise alter the face of the court. And by the way, why not go ahead and pack a few more senators into the Senate as well? In other words, when the game is not going your way, change the rules, stack the deck and freeze the other side out permanently. This is a terrible idea. And even when FDR wanted to do it, when he was not getting his uh, New Deal reforms put through and approved by the uh, United States Supreme Court due to some constitutional concerns over interstate commerce, et cetera, uh, his own vice president is a Democrat and and his own uh, Democratic senators refused to go along with him. But there's no such... uh, I think, honor or integrity amongst the Democrats now. It's all about naked power and partisanship. Uh, we're in this situation with uh, the elimination of the uh, the 60 vote rule for uh, confirming a Supreme Court justice because Democrats eliminated that rule. So, so what they don't understand is that if you try to eliminate rules for short-term advantage, there are long-term consequences of it that can be destructive to both your own chances, but also our uh, republic. And so um, I, I see that in our future very soon. Yeah, that's a question of the rule of law. This past week, the Texas Supreme Court blocked the most populous Harris County, which includes Houston, from sending mail-in ballot applications to all voters. As a response to coronavirus pandemic, some states expanded access to mail-in voting in this year's elections instead of sending mail-in ballot application only to those voters that explicitly requested and qualify for the mail-in vote. Hermit, what mechanisms do we have on our disposal to prevent the voter fraud and secure free and fair elections on November 3rd? I predict chaos, I'm sorry to say, at this year's election. In California, they're doing exactly what the federal court prevented them from doing in Harris County, Texas, which is they're sending a ballot to everybody on the rolls. But And that would be okay if California had done a diligent job or had Texas done a diligent job in making sure that only eligible voters are on the voter rolls. But instead, people move, people move out of state, sometimes people register more than once, sometimes people are mysteriously in California registered even though they aren't citizens. I've seen reports of people's foreign au pairs being registered to vote. We've even seen reports of people's pets being registered to vote. And Somehow people are getting registered to vote automatically. These ballots are being sent like spam mail, like junk mail, uh, to places where people aren't. Because of the pandemic, for example, in uh, our college town, San Diego, for example, thousands of ballots are being sent to students who are studying remotely in their home states or wherever they live. And so what's happening to those ballots? Nobody's tracking them. That is rife for fraud. Many of our elections in the United States have been decided by a single vote. And a single stray ballot, a single ballot that is voted fraudulently through our, I think, should be illegal ballot harvesting in California and other states, uh, is, is the dilution of a legitimate vote. And it's unacceptable. So in our future, my crystal ball says there will be much litigation over this election. And so what would your prediction be about the results of the election? if there is a chaos and if what you say is going to prolong the result? 
Well, so there's a couple of different levels, right? Because it's actually only a few states that are going to matter in terms of the presidential vote, the electoral college. Okay, so, you know, we could have total chaos in California. And while that's unfortunate for those of us who have to live here, it isn't going to affect the outcome of the presidential election. But it will affect the outcome of a congressional balance of power. And we are trying to win back several congressional seats here. So, indeed, even in those states that are not presidential battleground states, you will see election litigation over the outcome of these elections. And so I think states like California, California is almost certain to see some litigation in contested congressional districts. Pennsylvania is a state that has tried mightily to interfere with the ability of uh, Republicans to watch what's happening at the polls. They have a bizarre law there that uh, doesn't permit people to even be poll watchers if they're from a different county. That's, That's unconstitutional. Um, there are many other limitations like that. We've seen attempts to toy with the vote in Michigan, Wisconsin, all of these battleground states. And so this year, our RNC and our campaign, the Trump campaign, have already initiated and won a lot of litigation. But the Democrats have been doing this systematically for many years. And so they pretty much have a litigation operation around the clock. Republicans don't have that. And even today, we still don't have it. We need to do a better job of that in future elections. Hermit Delon, we thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and joining us on America's Roundtable. Thank you, Hermit. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I am Jolan Ansami, your co-host joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit. Visit iLeadersSummit.org.